Welcome to Chatterbox Hub Podcast. I'm Yulia Stancheva, your host. In this and in the next few episodes, we will be exploring the exciting world of video games. Gaming connects millions of people worldwide every day. As more and more people are working from home and looking for ways to socialize safely, it is not a surprise that searches for best online games have risen 100% over the last year. The online gaming industry is blossoming in today's climate, with more and more game developers reaching out to global audiences. But to get your art in front of gamers across different countries, you will need to make sure that your game is created with certain cultural context. So here comes the art of localization. And in this podcast episode, we'll talk about games localization and everything you need to know to prepare your game for global sales. I chat with Anisia Guer, a lead linguist of the games division of Alpha, who are specialists in localization, Michael Hulsman, a casting and video games director, and Natalie Beran, project manager at OM UK, who cast and record voices for video games. There is plenty of useful information for game developers, translators, casting directors, games producers, and voice actors that my amazing guests are sharing with us. So sit back, have a listen. And don't forget to take notes. Hi, Anisia. Hi, Julia, and thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Video game localization doesn't mean simply just to create a regional game in different languages. It's also to create versions of the game um, that feel authentic to the players. Yes, obviously, the more natural the target language, like in my case, French, the more French the text sounds, the better the French players will be emerged into the game and the, the better the experience for them. Absolutely. Why localization is so crucial for the success of video game? And what can happen when localization isn't quite as much of a priority as it should be? <laughs> well, yes, there are a lot of examples about localization gone wrong, but not necessarily because of the linguists involved, just because the clients sometimes just don't understand that localization needs time. But translation comes, it's like the last part of the project, like the, the thing that the developers don't really care about. But they should, really. But they should. Sometimes since localization arrives at the end, at the very end of a project, sometimes it's a bit crushed. And rushed, maybe, and overlooked. Exactly. So we don't really have time to ask questions about the project, to have a proper LQA done, yeah. to check how the translation looks in the game, uh, how it fits the context and everything. So it can be tricky, but it, it's it's always challenging. And if you're a translator, you need to like a challenge. <laughs> and overseeing the whole process. So probably you are used to getting feedback uh, from voice actors and uh, voice directors who have already started working on the game and they have encountered some issues with the translation. Yes, the most recent example, I worked with Alchemy Post on some dubbing. It was also really about cooperation yeah. between the voice actors and the voice director and myself. Mm -hmm. Because I was assisting the recordings. You were listening in during the sessions. Yes, exactly. We were able to make changes as we were going. So, oh, uh, this doesn't sound very natural. Or, oh, uh, this word is actually an homonym for something that's 
uh, completely di different things. So maybe we could change this word to make it clearer, to avoid confusion for the players. This cooperation was really appreciated. As a translator specialized in games, I'm a player and I like to play games. So for us, it's easy to feel what a player expects and what a player doesn't want to have in their game. You can draw from your own experience as a player and this is brilliant. Yeah. Translation of text is important, obviously, but localization goes much deeper. Yes. And this can include changing idioms to, uh, to reflect cultural understanding, replacing slang with regional equivalents and localizing cultural or historical references, which would otherwise make no sense. So should you change the names of characters across different languages? I think it really depends on several factors, but the problematic is very common. So it's common to games literature and also movies and animes mm -hmm. uh, because for example Mario and Luigi everyone across the globe knows them absolutely you don't change the name of Mario and Luigi you don't change the names of uh, Lynx and Zelda yeah. uh, you don't change the name of Harry Potter or Lara Croft these are all very emblematic names exactly because usually the main characters are really emblematic of the of the product yeah. so it's best if uh, players all around the globe can immediately identify that oh this character is this franchise yeah so for that reason it's usually best to avoid localizing or changing main character names but there are also exceptions. For example, if a specific name is a hint to the personality or to the backstory of a character. For example, the Pokémons. Mm -hmm. Pikachu is the main character, like the emblematic yes. character of the, of the franchise. So Pikachu is not translated or localized into French. But most of the other Pokemons, they are actually translated mm. into French. They are adapted. In some cases, uh, do you need to also do character redesign or to change whole scenes in order to localize the game for a specific country? It never happened to me, but I know of some examples. Usually it's mostly games that are originally from uh, Japan or Asian cultures, where some feminine characters can be a bit too busted or too not dressed enough. Mm -hmm. They are censored. <laughs> exactly, yeah. This issue can be, can be addressed, especially depending on the PG rating of the game. Yeah. Like if it's a game for kids, then we will have to, to suggest the game developers to adapt the design into other audiences. When you have to translate particular phrases and there is no close translation, what would be your first call of action? So the, the, the main point of uh, translation is to translate the intention, not really the meaning. For example, for some set phrases like welcome back, we don't really say that in French. We don't have an equivalent of saying welcome back. So we would translate it as something more similar to I'm happy to see you again. I see. You translate the intention. Exactly. The meaning has to be reflected in the translation, but if it's not the exact meaning, then you can just have like the intention, mm -hmm. like what does the character want to say? And then you say that in the most natural way possible. That's a fantastic advice. 
<laughs> Can I ask you, how do you keep the culture of the country in which the game is set? Uh, language is just one aspect of mm -hmm. culture. And as linguists, we have various tricks that we can use depending on the game because context is very important and it's the main, the main factor. Yeah. Some cultures are very well known to the French audience. So, for example, the American culture, U.S. culture, is very well known in France because of movies, series, games. There are a lot of culture from the U.S. that has been exported and imported into France. So keeping the, the U.S. culture of a game set in the US, for example, would be fairly easy. Mm -hmm. But some other cultures are not as well known. So we might need to adapt a bit more. Yeah. You have to do more research on the cultural background. Exactly. So we have to do some research, but we should also be... Uh, careful not to over-adapt or to remove some cultural elements that should be kept because that the target audience doesn't know something doesn't mean that they can't learn about it. Absolutely, yeah. We shouldn't underestimate the audience. Exactly. The players are very intelligent. Yes, they are. <laughs> And so, for example, if the game you are translating is a management game set in a Japanese restaurant, then it's okay to have numerous names of Japanese food that people won't really understand because that's where the game is set. Yeah. So you don't really have to adapt and uh, find or equivalents or something to, to adapt. But if it's uh, just food in an action RPG, then you can consider to, to use food names that people know. Like, for example, ramen. Everyone knows ramen. But... Uh, sometimes you won't know th that yakitori is type of Japanese skewers. So you could say just skewers instead of yakitori. If it's just for that specific context of an action RPG that, that, that has nothing to do or very less to do with, with food. If it's just an item that you eat to regain some mm -hmm. health points, then it's okay to have it adapt into something that people will identify. I guess the noodles cannot be transformed into burgers, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. That, that wouldn't be appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> How can you avoid stereotyping other cultures in the game? Because I guess that this could also become an issue. Yes, it could be an issue. So writing an accent to reflect a caricatural pronunciation, mm -hmm. it should definitely be avoided. I guess it's the same with voice actors, actually, because speaking in an accent, it's okay. But forcing it into a caricature, it will just drive away the people. Yeah, it will sound too fake. Yes. So basically, to avoid stereotyping, what we try to do is to uh, focus on the individuals. Um, so we will try to come up with speech patterns that will define the linguistic register of the way of address. Yeah. Like, uh, for example, if the character speaks in a formal way mm -hmm. or in a colloquial way or just a neutral uh, way of speaking. Like, for example, um, Joey Tribbiani's character in Friends, mm -hmm. the way he says, how you doing to all the women, yeah. that's classic Joey. And that's something that 
makes him... Who he is and makes him recognizable. Exactly. But this way, uh, we are focusing on who he is and not, huh, what's his culture? Oh, he's um, of uh, Italian descent, so we will make him talk like that. That wouldn't be okay at all. Yes, that's a great point. <laughs> what is the most challenging thing when it comes to translating and localizing games? Oh, that's a very interesting question. Um, hmm. Or maybe there are a few that are on your radar? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really about uh, adaptation because sometimes like we get just a list of words and we don't really have context about what the word refers to. Yeah. So sometimes it's just a really easy looking word like chest, but a chest, would it be like a reward box mm -hmm. or a kind of armor equipment? Yeah. If we don't know that, then we cannot translate it in the right way. So yeah. it's important to know the context. Exactly. So we need to keep an open mind. And if we can guess the context, depending on the other words, or if we don't know, then we should definitely ask the question to the client because they know they are supposed to know like what they wanted to say yeah. at that specific point. So Rather than playing a, a game of guessing. Exactly, because if you guess, you could be wrong and the final product could be impacted. So, yeah, in case of doubt, ask a question. Very good advice. Do you have favorite projects? Oh, yes, I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I was sure you would say that. <laughs> yeah, uh, favorite projects usually involve a lot of creativity. You like to take part in the creative process as well, don't you? That's the best part. <laughs> so yeah, because you could, uh, depending on whether on the game or depending on the settings, then you can go and look for inventing new words. That's the best part. That sounds very exciting. Yes. What would be your top three tips for managing the translation and the localization of video games that are meant to be distributed in the global market? So first thing for developers, contact professional translators. Don't use your community to translate your game because it might sound like a good idea, but it's not. So that's the first tip. <laughs> the second tip would be, oh, you took me by surprise there. <laughs> <laughs> Check the background of the characters and ask questions if you have any doubt or if uh, any info that uh, the translators feel like they need, that uh, really they should ask about it. And three, just um, just have fun. We are working in an industry, like be it translation or voiceovers, that uh, this is the dream job for yes. a lot of people. And uh, we, should, we should definitely remember to, to have fun. To enjoy the process of creating those video games. Exactly, because if we enjoy the process, then the final result can only be good. And will be enjoyable for the players. Exactly. Well, these are brilliant top tips. It's been such a pleasure to have you in our virtual studio. Thank you, Julia, for having me, and uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Video game localization is about creating an equivalent experience for players anywhere in the world. And translation plays a huge role in good localizations. But a straightforward translation does not cut it anymore. 
we need to bring culturalization on the table. And we delve into that with my next guest, the video games and casting director, Michael Halsman. We know that English is the lingua franca of the world these days, but um, even in a globalized world, all there's many, many different countries and many, many different languages, as we know. And uh, all these people want to hear content in their own language. If things aren't up to scratch, then obviously people will turn away and they'll be disappointed and they will let you know, especially in the games world, obviously, we have fan bases and forums and uh, people will tell you in there uh, what they think about uh, the localization, the dubbing and stuff like that. And so that can have repercussions ultimately on sales. Yeah, localization is crucial for the success of the video game. Definitely. How do you work with the client and make sure that their approach to the translation and the localization of the game is spot on? So you will have the translation stage often finished before you yeah. start recording. And that presents you uh, with some problems. It's left to you then in the studio when you're working with the actors to see whether the translation actually works in the language or the translation is correct. So actually what you're doing is you're doing the quality control. If you're in luck, you will have somebody from the client side or from the localization company in the studio with you that you can work with who can then relay the problems back mm -hmm. to the client uh, or get feedback from the client whether changes are uh, approved or not. Obviously, also, after you've finished the recording process, give the client feedback and, and let them know what the problems were that you encountered and hopefully find then an approach where you can minimize those problems on the next production. Yeah, and it is very important to have a localization kit, the document where you should uh, include all the information that translators and casting and games directors will need to maintain brand consistency. Yeah, that's also something that would probably have to be coming from the end client, uh, maybe the developer. Mm -hmm. We're at the recording end. We're actually at the end stage of the whole thing. Yeah. So all of these things need to be in place before we start recording because we will be running into difficulties if we're not sure whether there is consistency, whether there are doubts or uh, um, ambiguities and stuff like that. And if we have to sort them out, At the, at, the tra uh, at the recording stage, that obviously costs time, that costs money. That all needs to be in place before we even start work. Yes. When it comes to castings, what does the process involve and how do you make sure that you have matched the right actor for each character? We, as the uh, voice production uh, companies, used to be able to uh, cast to our heart's content, so to speak, because uh, mm -hmm. we always know our actors, we know who we're working with. We used to be quite free in that. It, that doesn't seem to be so much the case anymore. Clients are taking much more of an active um, interest in the casting process now yeah. and they want to make sure basically that they have the last word obviously they will ultimately know best what voice or what what, what type of voice suits their character but sometimes that can be a little bit of a shallow approach because they may be only choosing uh, a voice by uh, a voice sample that they've been given. Whereas we uh, will be working or will be supplying actors that we have worked with for a long time that we know very well and we know what they can do. So the question might be, yes, the voice might be right, but Can the mm -hmm. actor sustain that voice over a long time? And these are things that we know best and the client won't know that. But sometimes there are discrepancies 
And ultimately, the, the client will choose and then you'll just have to go with that and make it work. Yeah, yeah. And one last question that I'm sure will be super beneficial for all the actors who will be listening to this uh, podcast. What are the biggest mistakes voice actors do during auditions? And what do they need to do to nail the video game casting? Well, interestingly enough, I would say there are no mistakes when you go into a Uh, video game casting. The biggest okay. mistake would be to hold back. Don't be afraid to try many, many different things. I mean, it depends on how much time there is uh, in the casting. Try different uh, approaches to, to, to the character and just go out and go all out and give it yourself. Uh, that's the fun of it. Just throw yourself 100% into the audition process. Yes, absolutely. Yes, you can find you can find that character right there and then. And don't hold back. Yeah, don't be afraid to make any mistakes. Just just be yourself and go in there and don't hold back. I know a lot of people want to do it. They love doing it, and it's a great industry to be in. My final guest in this podcast is Natalie Baran, a voice actress and production manager at OM UK. They do voice casting and recording and performance capture for video games. We chat about how they work with game developers, how they cast voice actors, manage localizations and much more. We do deal with some developers who, um, depending on the project, may record it in different languages. Um, we've had some games where they've already recorded in different languages in Europe and then we come and do the English. So that's that's quite That's quite neat to be able to hear the sort of tone and, and where they've gone with certain characters because you, you could get a brief that says um, monster, one deep voice, stubborn, that kind of thing. But if you if you can sort of hear perhaps what uh, the German version was or the Portuguese version or the Russian version and you go, oh, okay, they, they want it really quite deep or really mm -hmm. gritty or they've, they've picked somebody that is slightly different from the images that they sent through, then we can, we can look at matching that as well. We've worked on other projects uh, for interactive pieces as well that aren't quite video games, but for installations or art or um, museums, for example. And for something like that, they do a lot of localization. Um, I, for one example, an audio guide, you, you may have you know, channel one is English, channel two is French, channel three is um, Polish or something. But then you also have to think, you have to think about people from different countries who don't speak any of those languages, but they will pick English as a second language to listen to. So mm -hmm. you can't really make it too complicated. So you want to be able to understand that as well. Well, we know that uh, some poor translations in the video game industry have achieved cult status. <laughs> yeah, we, we keep an eye on the scripts as we work. So if there if there's an odd word or a very, very English word or something that may not be known, so much but we don't we don't tend to re-script or anything it would be a discussion a discussion to take back to any developers to say this doesn't quite translate that well into English um it might sound a bit weird <laughs> to the English ear <laughs> and it also depends on the character if it is a character that is supposed to sound a little bit off off the board <laughs> so to speak then um you know perhaps perhaps the translated language does work for that character if it's not yeah. quite sort of grammatically correct or anything like that. You'll have to adapt it to the English market. Yeah. What are the most important things that game developers should consider when working with voice actors to avoid the risk of alienating their 
end users or gamers? For developers, um, if you're picking an actor that perhaps doesn't quite fit the part, but you like them because of their their status or something, um, just make sure it's not in the game that it takes the player out of the game. What is the trickiest casting brief that you have worked with so far? It's not so much tricky to find people. It's just that with COVID, people have kind of scattered a little bit and you think, oh, well, this person would be great for this role, but they've relocated back to their parents Mm -hmm. far away or, or even to a different country for a while. But I think in terms of interesting castings, um, we have been working on a couple of projects that um, are looking for trans actors and things. And that's not tricky, mm-hmm. but we're having to look for um, people who, who may not be as visible in the community. So yeah. reaching out to different agents or theatre groups or, um, you know, just putting the word out in, in different ways. Yeah, I think a lot of people are starting to be a little bit more diverse, which is great. So we, we're getting more diverse briefs or more di- diverse character descriptions. It's bringing up some voices that, that we're really enjoying working with. So yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> it's great to hear that the video games uh, industry is becoming more inclusive. Yeah, and, and different different characters and different people from different countries as well. London is great because we've got such a mix of people that we can work with. So, you know, if you get sort of a different ethnicity or um, a different description of an actor, then you can you can probably find them because <laughs> there's, yeah. you know, having a large city and um, a creative city and everybody, of course, is, is aching to work after not being able to for the last sort of 14 months. So Yes, and the video games industry is so lucrative. The market is very competitive and it is really hard to get into. <laughs> you really need to be at your best all the time. I think so. And I would I would say if you're if you're looking to do more video game acting is is to get some training um uh, people who have done a fair amount of theater or improvisation or um are still working on their craft are, are good. If you went to drama school and it was 10 years ago then perhaps refresh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's the best way to nail the audition and to be casted? Gosh, um when you get the brief Read it and understand it. And if you've got any questions, don't be afraid to ask questions. If something doesn't quite make sense or you're not sure, um, you could you can forward the questions back to your agent or if you are dealing directly with a studio, um, do ask. Just be careful it's not a silly question that's already answered within the brief. <laughs> <laughs> don't waste time. <laughs> yeah, don't waste time. And follow the instructions um if someone's if someone's casting a game that's got 30 characters and they're getting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of audition samples back for several characters make sure that you know if there's 10 characters and you audition for them all perhaps don't pick the ones that you know that you can nail that you can deliver mm-hmm. for hours on end um rather than giving sort of like a c effort across the board because um uh, i mean we we would look at someone for, you know, if you've got several NPC characters and you'll get one actor to play two or three or more characters, can they deliver at sort of like an mm-hmm. A level yeah. across all of the characters or have they auditioned for everything just to try and get in and a lot of the, a lot of the samples are sort of C's or D's <laughs> on, a, <laughs> on a scale of, um, of quality. And if someone asks you to label a file 
for your submission in a certain way. Do it correctly. <laughs> Follow it to the letter. Do it correctly because um, when, you know, casting assistants and, and people who are dealing with all of that download your WeTransfers and unpack your zips, they're not labeled correctly. They'll get lost or misfiled or put into a wrong folder or to be honest, just deleted because you haven't followed the instructions. And things like that, if they say send it in an MP3, send it in an MP3. If you're sending supplementary files like your signed NDAs or a headshot or something like that, then label it. Yeah. <laughs> label it with your name. Like sending a file that says image 371 and your photographer's name, we don't know who it is. When it's downloaded and sitting in a pile of a file on someone's computer, we don't, we don't know who that face is. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I think if you if you take the time and follow follow the brief, follow the instructions, um, it shows that you can follow instructions in the booth. So you can, you know, kind of do as you're told. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for game developers, what do they need to prepare in order to give you the perfect casting brief? I, th I think a, a really good character description of who the character is. Um, it's voice work, so perhaps we don't see how tall they are or how big they are but that can also give a few hints to the type of voice we're looking for um, in terms of physicality so, so you know, like a like a large soldier you know marine who's pumped up with muscles is you're going to want an actor that can deliver that whether or not they're they're full of muscles and large and a soldier type themselves but um, it can help things like Uh, images and screenshots from the game, uh, if there's any um, walkthroughs or video that are ready, then it's often good to be able to see the world of the game, mm -hmm. which can help casting as well. So, And also to be able to explain to actors sort of the context of, of where they might be or, or what their character um, is dealing with at the time. So description about the game, description about the characters, um, and any, any sort of Uh, assets like that are really helpful to be able to build a good casting brief. The more information, the better. The more information, the better. So, I mean, we're, we're not going to share it with anyone. We all sign NDAs, <laughs> yeah. but um, it just helps with the casting process. Thank you, Natalie. It's been such a pleasure to have you in our virtual studio. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you have enjoyed it, rate and leave a review. And while you're here, why don't you check out our previous episodes where we talk with more amazing and inspiring guests about all things audio and not only. Chat, 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 chat.